And you know what? We can bring an offering to the king. And that's ourselves. We can bring ourselves. We can consecrate ourselves. What a wonderful thought. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29, and we'll read from verse number 23 down through verse number 28. <clears throat> we have two Sundays, well, actually three, but uh, including this one, left in our all-in for him, the theme for the year. We started in this chapter, First Chronicles chapter 29, the first part of it. We went through uh, most of it. We saw the consecration that David had, his personal consecration in the first five verses, uh, his cooperation, the teamwork that the entire nation of Israel did in, in uh, uh, offering to the Lord, they offered willingly. The application of service, gifts, their labor, from verse number 9 through verse number 21. And their adoration, their worship, their enthusiasm with great gladness, the Bible says in verse 22. And then this is the last part of the uh, chapter here from verse 23 through, through verse number 30. This is the confirmation of Solomon's reign. This is the handoff. And that's what we're looking at today is the handoff. It's an ideal handoff that David had to his son Solomon to hand off the reign and the throne to him as he passed off the scene. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 23. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father, and prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. And all the princes and the mighty men and all the sons likewise of King David submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as has not been on any king before him in Israel. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned all, uh, over all Israel, and the time that he reigned over Israel was forty years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. And he died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon his son reigned in his stead. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that you'd uh, open it up to us here this morning. Lord, we need of your direction and your guidance and Lord, the subject of handing things off to the next generation happens in every generation with every person. They live and they, uh, they occupy, they do your will and they do what they're there to do and then they hand off, uh, whether it be the business or the family, the church to uh, the, the next generation. So Lord, I pray that you help us to see some things in this ideal handoff here that would bless us, would, would give us direction and guidance. Lord, we need for your uh, blessing to uh, be upon your word. Otherwise, it's a closed book. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to each one of us. Thank you already, Lord, for the music and the fellowship. It's a wonderful thing to, to get together with God's people and be part of the family of God to rejoice together. Lord, I pray that right now, as we look to your word, you'd speak to hearts. Lord, we need you, and we ask that you'd be here in your presence and in your power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we seek to wrap up this, our annual theme of all in from this chapter, that last chapter uh, that we went through here is, is uh, uh, finishing off with David's handoff. To have a proper handoff, we need to see a few things fall in line. And everybody comes to the end of their reign or of their job or of their 
uh, duty, their stint where they were in charge or they were doing whatever it was, and then they hand it off to the, the, the next one, whether that be, as I said, in family or business or uh, uh, educational systems or in church. Now, I'm getting older, and I know that. You don't have to remind me. You know, I, I look in the mirror, and, and uh, it's just up here I'm 20, you know, but I know that in my body I'm getting older, and I realize that sooner or later as a church I'm going to be handing off this church to the next generation and the next pastor, uh, whoever that is. And uh, I've been thinking about that more uh, as time goes on because uh, it's going to be coming on. And so, you know, we've got the best plans laid out of mice and men and whether that happens or not, you know, I've got a, a plan to try to do that. And hopefully we'll have, you know, God's will here and, and uh, it'll be a smooth transition to where, uh, you'll know that it's God's will, and I know that it's God's will when that takes place. But it's it's been on my my mind lately, and and uh, of just how to do that, and how to to uh, I, I would like to see this church, the church that that I've put uh, labor and and effort into in these last thirty some years, to uh, to go on and do greater things in the future. And so I'm concerned about that. So when I'm reading this, the handoff of David to Solomon. That it concerned me, and I and I'm I'm paying attention, and I'm uh, asking God to to show His direction. But folks, that's what we all do. We are here just for a time, and if this church is a multi generational church, then we're going to be handing it off to the next generation. Sometimes we look at our young people, and that's scary. But then at other times, we see the great potential that our, our young ones have and, and that they have within themselves are sharp kids and sharp uh, young ones or young families that are coming up. And, and the church should go on and, and should do greater and should continue on a trajectory where it's, where it's moving up. And so uh, as a church, we've got to be thinking about this. We have, uh, you know, uh, they say that churches... Uh, will grow according to the pastor or his his uh, uh, particular category. Whether he's old, there's a lot of older people. If he's a young pastor, then there's usually a lot of younger people. In this church, we have a, a real cross-section of the older and the middle-aged and the younger couples and then the, the teenagers and young kids uh, in, the, in the, the services. There in the last few uh, pews, we have the young ones that are meeting Sunday morning before they go off into the junior services and they're here with the songs and all. And that's a, that's a, a really uh, hot section right back there. You know, there's all kinds of things. I was talking to a few people this morning where some of the kids are there wrestling around and some adults had to get on and say, hey, 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 come on, come on. This is a church. And then, but they've got energy like nobody's business, you know. And um, that's, the, that's the, the far on generation. But, you know, we have a lot of older folks. We have some uh, deacons and some uh, members of this church that have been here forever. <laughs> and, and they're wonderful saints of God that have been solid and have proven the test of time. And uh, that's a blessing, folks. That is such a blessing. They have good, solid saints that know the, the Lord, and they've been walking with him for a while. They're, 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 they're stalwarts of the faith. They're kind of like pillars in the church. And, uh, and, and we've got many of those, and that's a blessing for a church, but we're not going to be around forever. Um, just this last year, last couple of years, we've, 
we've, we've held more funerals and uh, we've seen more go off into uh, nursing homes and, and uh, that kind of thing than we want to admit. And some of the sweetest saints in, on God's earth. And it's just been such a blessing to have the, the privilege of knowing these believers and rubbing shoulders with them and, and fellowshipping with them in this church and then to, to see them to move on. Some of them cannot uh, make the services anymore because they're shut in or whatever, and some are now in heaven. But folks, we're, we're going to hand off this, our Christianity. We're going to hand off this church to the next generation. So let's take a look at some of the things that need to fall in line to be an ideal handoff, which is what David did with Solomon. Each of these um, things that fell in line were accomplished with the king and his subjects in this an ideal handoff. First of all, we read in the text that we read began in verse number 23, you see the submission that the folks had to Solomon, the new king. Then <clears throat> Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered and all Israel obeyed him. And all the princes and the mighty men and all the sons likewise, the king of David, submitted themselves unto Solomon, the king. Now that, that was a mouthful right there as far as even the sons, other sons. That, that's David's, or, uh, David's other kids, um, Solomon's brothers, many of them half-brothers that were in the, the, uh, the regime there, uh, which could have been on the throne if it was um, a dynasty that was in the family, that kept in the family. It could have been Solomon or um, Absalom, you remember that, and the coup that, that uh, he tried while David was still on the throne, and then there was some other things that were happening, and, and um, there was um, uh, Adonijah, remember, he, he rose up in 1 Kings and, and uh, tried to steal the throne. There was, there was so much to be said about that, but this says that even uh, Solomon's brothers or half-brothers, the sons likewise of King David, they submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. And that was necessary for them to submit. And so here you see a submission. The people were blessed to recognize the authority that God had set up. And God made it clear in this situation that Solomon was to be king. God did set him up. God did indicate that Solomon was his choice. And they needed to place themselves under that reign and under that authority. And they did. There was a, a submission to the new king. And then there was a magnification. They magnified him in, in verse number 25. And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. I mean, uh, he was showcased. He was honored. He was lifted up. Not only did the people assume a subordinate position to their authority, but they magnified him, they uplifted, they honored their king. And that was necessary for the transition to take place. They magnified not just the office or the seat of king, but the person, Solomon. And then there was a completion or an operation in verse number 23 again. It says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. This is where they fell in line, and they actually began in their labor to serve the, the, the king and, the, and the, the country. Verse 26 says, Thus David, the son of Jesse, 
reigned over all Israel, and the time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. That was in total. There's a, a summary of David's life, of his reign over Israel, 40 years long. But it wasn't 40 years with all the people. It was 40 years with uh, Judah, with, uh, with uh, that faction that followed him, put him on the throne right away. But you remember that whole story, and if you know your Bible, how that uh, King Saul was the previous king. He was of the Benjamites, and, and they didn't want to follow him. There was a, 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 a break in the, in the uh, uh, nation. There was a schism in the nation, and some followed David, and some still held out for uh, Saul and maybe his kids to take the, take the reign. And, and that didn't happen all at once. Uh, David was king over uh, Israel for 40 years, but then it goes on to say, uh, seven years reigned he in Hebron, and 30 and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. So in Hebron is where he started, and then it was a full seven years later that those in Jerusalem, the Benjamites and, and the other Israelites, finally made uh, David king. They finally submitted to him. So th uh, he reigned over them 33 years. He reigned over Hebron and, and <coughs> all of Israel began <coughs> with a 40-year reign. <coughs> there was that seven-year difference. And then it says, and he died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his stead. Here's where they not only had the right attitude, but they obeyed. They followed the new king. They served him. They put to work their service for the king. It's interesting to note uh, the, the seven-year discrepancy that we just talked about. Uh, that, that time that uh, leadership wasn't over everybody was just in Hebron where uh, Jerusalem and the Benjamites, uh, they, they kind of balked that leadership. And, uh, and it was for seven years, the house of Saul, it was around Jerusalem. Jerusalem at the time was called the city of Jabus. It was where the Jebusites lived there. And so it was called Jabus for after the Jebusites. And uh, they tried to battle the Jebusites and, and uh, uh, dispossess them from Jerusalem, and they couldn't. They floundered. They, they kept battling, and they, they didn't have any victory. They didn't have a good uh, 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 military leader. David was an excellent military leader, but he wasn't their king. They, they were just on their own, and they kind of floundered, and, and they battled in defeat. They wallowed in failure, while the people of Hebron were blessed with David being their king already seven years. But the Bible says that as soon as the Israelites of Benjamin anointed David and they began to follow him in 1 Chronicles 11, if you want to look at the story there, they were victorious also. It was when they decided to put David as their king, when they anointed, when they recognized David as their king, that's when they began having victory. And so it was a complete, it was a successful handoff here at our text where David's passing on the scene and he's handing off the throne to Solomon and it was up to the people to then voluntarily follow Solomon. And, and uh, so a successful handoff, as in this place, will reflect submission, magnification, and obedience to the next king. And that equals success. But Solomon was more than one king in an Old Testament dynasty. He was the picture, and he was the type 
of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 42, this is what Jesus said about Solomon. He said, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He's talking about himself at that point. And so he uses Solomon in the Old Testament as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. A true type is when something, there's a story or something going on in the Old Testament is explained or is magnified or is, or is taught about in the New Testament and it, and it uh, refers back. And so Solomon here is actually a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, listen, uh, uh, they went to Solomon for his wisdom and he says there's greater wisdom, there's, there's a clearer uh, explanation here in himself. Seeing that Solomon illustrated the Lord Jesus Christ in so many ways, we're, we're going to apply these thoughts to our Lord. Each and every one of us in this generation need to hand off our faith in the Lord to the next generation in the same three ways. We hand off our faith in, number one, in submission. Remember our text? Verse number 24 says, all the princes and the mighty men and all the sons likewise of King David submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. They had to submit themselves. They had to understand who they were, who Solomon was, and they had to take a subordinate position. Folks, my greatest role in our reaching out to and rescuing following generations is in successfully leaving them with a proper self-perception of who they are who we are coupled with the submission to the Lord. Now, I thought about uh, bringing my kids, which I have uh, a couple of children uh, here in the church and their families, and having them sit like on the front row. Um, I, I have, with my four children that are here, that are you know, in the state and, and nearby, um, everybody's serving the Lord in one way or another, and there, there's two here in this, in this church and their families. And, um, man, the Lord has blessed us. We, we, are, we are really fruitful <laughs> if you, with 17 grandkids. The other day I was, I wonder if we got that uh, picture. Do you have a picture that you can put up there? No? Okay. No, it's not there. Well, the, other, the other day I was uh, uh, taking a um, picture of the fireplace after I'm, we're getting ready for the Christmas season. And so we started years ago putting stockings, you know, uh, uh, Christmas stockings on the mantle. You know, one or two and three and four, you know, and five. Seventeen. <laughs> There's not enough mantle anymore. <laughs> He's got it all set up and I'm going, yikes, look at that thing. Seventeen kids. That's a mob. <laughs> And when we get together, it's pandemonium. That's just the kids. And with the adults, it's like, ah. Anyway, man, the Lord has blessed us. And so I, I thought about getting my own kids to illustrate this situation, have them sit down on the front, and I've got grandkids everywhere. But then it might be the first or the second row or third or fourth rows. I don't know. Anyway, there, there's too many of them. So um, I thought, well, you know, that would just uh, embarrass them anyway. And, and uh, so I probably shouldn't be doing that. And, when, and it would limit my handoff to the next generation if I'm just talking about my kids. I am, I am talking about my children. But I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about 
all of us as we hand things off to the next generation. Is this church going to be around 50 years from now? Will it be here when the Lord returns? I don't know when. You know, the Lord could return before we're done preaching by 3 or 4 o'clock, you know? <laughs> no, really. I mean, the Lord could return tonight. But, you know, if he tarries, what if 100 years from now the Lord uh, tarries his, his return? Is this church going to still be here? Well, it depends on how successful the handoff of our faith is to the next generation. Folks, I take it seriously. This is of utmost importance. I mean, I'm talking about of utmost importance in handing off our faith to the next generation. As John the Baptist stated, he must increase, but I must decrease. John chapter 3, verse 30. My goal in total and uh, is, is total and personal submission to God. I mean, that's me. That's what my goal is personally. I, just like John the Baptist says, I've got to decrease, he's got to increase in my life so that others could see Christ through me. Not see me, not, not, be, not stumble over this example, but to have Christ magnified in my life and to me be submitted, take my place of submission before the Lord. Nothing less will lay out the street signs for the next generation for their own submission to the king, if they could see that in me. I could tell somebody what to do, and if it's not true in my life, that doesn't do anything, though. I'll tell you what you need to do, and yeah, I'm a mess in that area. Uh, that's that's yeah, actually counterproductive, you know. But when you, when you have that in your own life, and so to properly hand off, there's got to be submission. <clears throat> they've got to understand their place before the Lord, that next generation. Uh, so we, we should say, let me show you by my submission. And that's the attitude to have. You know, folks, we should show our submission to the Lord in being submission uh, submitted to his word. That means this is, this is a key. This is what is, is uh, our direction, our guideline, our map. To his will. We should be, should be submitted to his will. We, we should show our submission with our means and with our substance. How we give to the Lord. How we sacrifice. What a great song that that trio sang earlier about sacrifice to the Lord. See, we should show our submission by that. We should show our submission by our time. You have nothing more valuable to you than your time. And if you commit that if you sacrifice that for the lord if you spend time in his word i'm talking about every day and, and you pray you take some time with the lord you spend time in the services and you're here when the doors are open because you want to hear the word of god listen that is that is so valuable that that means so much it's it's the it's the most valuable thing you have we show our submission to the lord by giving him our time and then, uh, how about this, our magnification? You remember the verse we read in verse 25, 1 Chronicles 29, 25? And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed upon him uh, such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. See, folks, the king of kings, 
the one much greater than Solomon, is to be magnified. His majesty is so utterly beyond anything or anyone else that his glory demands that we honor him, that we magnify, that we uplift, that we, that we uh, augment the Lord. Our attitudes and stance in church declares the value that we place in our Lord. And folks, that's how we magnify him. We are to magnify the king in his church with our attention and our focus. We should, when we come to church, we should be willing and ready to listen to, to the king to hear what he has to say. So that means prepare to give him our attention and our focus. You know what that means? That means get to sleep Saturday night. I'm serious. Sometimes I'll, I'll see people come to church and, you know, Saturday might be a day off for you or whatever. And, and you, you spend late hours. And, and, you know, at church, you know how you look? You look like this. You know, you, you've seen that. The head in front of you starts bobbing, you know. They're not saying, amen, preacher, that's good. They're, they're going, sleeping, you know. No, you know. Come on. How about we give, give the Lord our best, you know? Give him our focus and our attention. Come prayed up in anticipation, hungry for the Lord to speak to hearts, expecting God to speak to your heart. Be on time. Come on, just be on time. Is that, you know, too hard to, you know, you're on time for your work. You know why you're on time for your work? Because if it's three or four times you get fired or whatever, and so you value your job, and so, and so, you're not going to be on time for the Lord's work? Come on, let's, let's be on time for church. Be faithful to that Bible class. Uh, you know, the, uh, there's uh, teaching that you need to have or learn or whatever. Be faithful to it. Understand that we're coming to hear from the king, folks. The, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, Paul said, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, he was preaching to the Thessalonians and <clears throat> when they came to preach, they had a, a, the right attitude. He says, when you received the word of God, which he heard of us, that is in, in preaching. He's preaching the word of God and this is how they're receiving it. When you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, <clears throat> the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. They understood, this is God speaking to me. Is it important for God to speak and, and for us to listen? Well, absolutely. We come here to hear from God. And folks, yes, me too. It's not, you know, hear from the preacher. Well, yeah, if, if, if I'm giving you my uh, opinion, if I'm giving you what I'm thinking, well, yeah, then you hear from the preacher. But you know what? If it's the word of God, if we're going over the word of God, we're teaching and preaching and expounding the word, this is God's word, and it's and important to you, and it's just as important to me. It's for all of us, all of us. It's his word. It's the word of the king. We're to magnify the king with our attention and our focus. We're to magnify the king in church with our best. How about this, our best dress? Is it too much to ask our respect, our appropriate best for him in church? <clears throat> this subject, uh, the, I, I know we live in a world where 
uh, things are casual and they've kind of dumbed down, you know, as far as uh, uh, formal, that kind of, and I understand that, where there's a, more of a, uh, a casual look at things, even in the workplace. But what does the Bible say about how we present ourselves before the Lord? Jacob presented, or he prepared his people to meet God in Genesis 35, verse number 2. The Bible says, And Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. He, he's getting his people together, his kids, and he's saying, hey, change what you got. That's not, that's not respectful. We're going back to Bethel. We're going to meet with God. And so he says, hey, there's a, an attitude to have. We should meet with God. And he says, hey, uh, how about this? Let's, let's dress our best. Change your garments. They, you know, they probably didn't have tuxedos but they put on their best for God. See, God instructs in Exodus chapter 19, verse number 10. The Lord said unto Moses, Go unto all the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Now, they're getting prepared to meet God, prepared to go to a meeting with God. And this is how uh, God instructed Moses, said this is what you have the people do. Wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. <clears throat> Folks, it's not a fashion show. We're not talking about that. It's meeting with God in respect and forethought. Let me say this. If you'll dress any better for any occasion, meeting with any honored dignity in a more respectful way, then you're imbalanced. Because you've got to understand, we're meeting with God. At church, we go to meet with God. Dinner with a foreign ambassador or maybe the Queen of England, how would you dress? If you're going to a funeral of a loved one. And that's more important than meeting with God, hearing from God. The backwoods farmer doesn't need a fashion runway getup, but he'll probably dress his very best. Because God deserves our best in church. It shows our attitude in magnifying the king. I think I told you this uh, when I uh, was at a fellowship meeting in Missouri and visited one of the churches that were, was a longstanding, it was a great church that always preached right and stood right. And uh, boy, what, a, what an eye-opener to, to go to that service. It was a large church, and, and it looked like people were there for the beach. I mean, really. For the beach, they they were looking. They looked like they were uh, dressed to just you know sit on a, a towel and and uh, throw around a football. I mean, everybody, everybody, the whole church. I came like this, you know, because this is the way I go to church. I mean, I'm just used to this. I know it's a cultural thing and all. That, but so I come to church and all of a sudden I'm looking like I'm uh, way out of place. <laughs> they meet me saying, uh, "Who are you? Why are you here?" You know, it's like. I just want to go to church, you know, and I just was, and it's a big church, and it was like, wow, this is just, it's different. Right after church, <clears throat> the, the preacher friend and I went to a, a steakhouse in town to go to lunch, and the guy at the door, the concierge or the host or whatever they call that guy, he was wearing a, a, a suit and tie. Our waiter came by, he didn't have a suit, but he had a tie on, and he took our order and whatever, and anyway... When I was leaving, I asked the host, I said, why do you guys 
wear ties here. I mean, why do you dress like you, you dress? This is what he said. He said, because we want people to know that what we have here is valuable. It's important. It's not McDonald's. It's something that, that, we, that we want others to understand. This is, this is quality. And I'm thinking, come with me to church next Sunday over here and tell them that, you know, because they, they, nobody got it, you know. And folks, you know, I'm not, listen, if you want to wear a tie or not a tie, that's really, that's up to you. But what I'm saying is, how about we dress our best for the Lord? Really. To do your best for him. To, to, to just God deserves our best. It shows our attitude in magnifying the king. We're to magnify the king in church with our attention, with our dress, with our music. How about our music? We're not to imitate unbelievers in anything. Anything. Sometimes people get really, really finicky about this and offended because of even we address the subject. But the Bible says, oh, let's take a look at the, 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 the Bible instruction for the way that we as believers are, are supposed to relate to the world. Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 14. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Here's an evil man, somebody who doesn't know the Lord, an unbeliever. He says, don't follow that. Don't go that way. Don't, don't enter into his path. It says, stay away from it. Go not in the way of evil men. Verse 15, avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Now, what is he saying there? He says, hey, don't follow, don't imitate the world. Is that clear? Yeah, I think it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. He says here, for believers, you're not to be like the world. You're to be separate from them. You're to be different. It's okay to be different. Well, then, <clears throat> I got a question. Pray tell. Why have the lost majored in a spectacular, fleshy, sensory show of the rock culture and it show up in places of worship 40 years later when the instruction is abundantly clear not to follow that? See, this, I cut my teeth on, on the, the, the rock scene. I mean, it was drugs, uh, uh, rock and roll, immorality, that whole thing. I, I was part of that. And I know, I would, I, not like I've never experienced that. I, re, I remember going to uh, concerts where there's, you know, the, the, the music is just, you know, uh, shaking your rib cage and, and, and hurting your ears and, and the, the light show and the, and the drugs and everything else was going on. It's all, it's fleshly. It's, it's, it's carnal, okay? I kind of agree with that. And that was, that was a long time ago. And then, <clears throat> if, we were to, if we were to say churches are like that today, back 40 years ago, churches would ever be like that? They would have laughed at you. Of course not. Of course not. No, no, that's the world. That's the wicked. That's what they're doing. Hey, you remember what the Bible said? Uh, the, the way of the lost person? Go not the way of evil, evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Get away. Don't go that. Don't imitate Proverbs 3.31, Envy not thou the impressor, and choose none of his ways. Choose none of his ways. Don't, don't be like the world. 
Don't be like those who are unbelievers that are, that are contrary to God. Now, let me ask you something. Does a loud, overbearing, carnal, pounding sound, a light show, dark auditorium, smoke machine, does that resemble in any stretch of the imagination a rock concert dance floor? You would be biased to say anything, but of course it does if you had an agenda. You know what? Your agenda is, well, no, I like that. Or I think that's good, or whatever it is. You know, everybody does it. It's fun. Well, what, tell, tell me again, why do we want to imitate that? How about instead of imitating the lost and elevating the flesh, we honor our God as our majestic creator? That's, that's different. We're to, folks, we're to magnify the king in church with our music. Music that should glorify God. I'm not saying antiquated music. I'm not saying dead, cold music. I'm saying music that's, that's engaged, but it's, it's not all about me. It's about him. It's magnifying him. We should magnify the king in church with our obedience or disobedience to his instruction, whatever he's got to say. Whether it be in any party or lifestyle or if he's asking for us to do something or sacrifice something. Take any practice, every attitude that we have about anything. We choose to obey or disobey divine instruction. When we go to church, we should pay attention. What does God say? What is God's perspective on this? What is his word? And we choose to obey or disobey that instruction. You know what the best advice for you to have is what they told the, the porters in that uh, wedding of Canaan when they, uh, Mary came to, to Jesus and said, hey, we're out of wine, what are we going to do? And Jesus was about to perform the miracle. Mary said to the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know how he's going to handle this. But whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Boy, that's some great advice. Whatsoever he says, I don't care what it is. I don't care if you like it or don't like it. I don't care if it makes sense or doesn't make sense. Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. Boy, that's a great attitude to have. Folks, that's how we magnify him in his church. We're to magnify the king in church with our exclusivity concerning his things. Say, preacher, what do you mean, our exclusivity? First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 25 says, They bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before. Nobody got what Solomon got uh, at that point in those in inaugural services. Yes, our worship and the services that we bring to and for him aren't to be common. They're not to be copied or duplicated. A synonym for our word for common uh, used to be in the religious realm, used to be vulgar. Not vulgar in a, in a you know, uh, nasty way, but vulgar in a, just uh, a common way. Sacred is the opposite of common. Reserved especially for God. Holy. You know what holy means? Holy means apart from, other than, not like something else. Holy, set apart. <clears throat> the incense for worship in the temple 
was to be holy or exclusive. It was to be not like anything else. And God was very clear when he says, now listen, when you worship me, these are the, the spices that you put together and you have this to be burning in the temple. This is what I want done in Exodus chapter 30. Notice what God says about our worship to him. He says in uh, verse 31, And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall ye make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. That means apart. It means separate. That means, that means sacred. And it says you're not to say, man, I like that smell. I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, make it into a perfume and just, you know, use it for me or use it. And he said, no, no, it's unlike, you don't be putting it on, on men or on you. You shall not make any other like it. Shall be holy unto you. Verse 33, whosoever compoundeth any like it or whosoever putteth any upon, uh, of it upon a stranger shall even be cut off from his people. Look down to verse 37. As for the perfume which thou shalt make, he shall not make it to yourselves according to the uh, according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto the holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. Goodness. God was serious about this. He says, what you do in church, what you do in my worship is not to be seen anywhere else. Is to be separate, is to be different than anything else. You, you, don't, you don't copy this. You don't use it for anything else. It's to be different. So God instructed the things surrounding his worship to be exclusive. So you come here at Wooden Valley. You don't hear the same things in the world that you hear here in church. And that's bad. Uh, well, preacher, the language of the King James is not common, right? It's kind of, what they call it, sacred. You know, it's, it's, it's not common or vulgar or... or uh, uh, the music here is exclusive. You don't hear that. In your, I am so glad I come to church and I'm, and I'm not hearing what I turn on on the radio on the way home. I'm, I'm glad that it's not here in church. Folks, is that bad? Uh, excuse me. When God says, when you worship me, you're not to, you're not, this is not to be common. It's not to be like anything else. I remember going to Deep Purple and, and uh, Jethro Tull and all of those and, and hearing what I see in churches today. You go in there and see whatever's going on and it's the same thing. Wait a minute. When God says, when you worship me, it's to be exclusive. It's not to look like, it's not to be common, it's not to be everywhere. No, no, it's something that is only for me in church. And so the music is exclusive here. Yeah, that's right. That's designed. That's on purpose. That's okay, folks. And let me say this, it's even proper. So uh, we are to magnify the king in this church. So anyway, getting back to our, our outline here, we, we hand off our faith in submission, in magnification, and we hand off our faith in completion or in our operation. And we read those verses from verse number 26 of our text. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel in the time that he reigned. And you know, saw that seven-year difference. 
This, of course, is our obedience. It's talking about our obedience. And folks, as we hand off our faith to the next generation, we better have be sincere without guile, without hypocrisy ourselves. We better be obeying, better pay, be paying attention to the Lord ourselves, our obedience to him, following him, doing what he asks. It signifies a life that's lived in obedience, a life that is full and blessed. David had that. Solomon couldn't even keep a whole life on track, but wherever they submitted to, wherever they magnified and obeyed the authority of God, they were blessed through and through. And the Bible says in verse 28 about David, and he died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. I would love to hand off what I've discovered to my children and grandchildren, to, to others that know the Lord. I would, I would love to hand off what I've discovered in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been my very best friend. I love the Savior. He is so... He saved me, folks. He saved me. I'm going to be with him forever. I, I want to hand that off to the next generation. That's the hope of the world. Will this be a successful transfer? Well, will we pass our faith down in submission and magnification and Obedience and completion. And he died in a good old age, full of days, riches and honor, and then Solomon, his son, reigned in his stead. Hey, let's, let's do a good handoff, okay? Every head bowed, nobody looking for just a moment. Lord, I pray that you...